0: What if it was possible to have local fresh groceries delivered right to your door? Think of all the free time you'd have. Well, Instacart gives unlimited grocery delivery for one low monthly fee. Forgot that special ingredient in your favorite dish? Instacart can deliver it to your front door in as fast as one hour. You can shop multiple stores, see deals in your area, and save time and money. I've been using Instacart for over three years. I started using them in Arizona and I'm using them here in Florida. I love the time-saving convenience. They pick the freshest products and they keep my eggs safe too. To receive your first delivery free, follow the link in the show notes so that Instacart knows that we sent you and to help support the show. Instacart, never step foot in a grocery store again. Welcome to Empowered Within, a soul quenching, transformational podcast that will set your soul on fire. Through candid and inspiring conversations, leading experts, celebrities, healers, and I share our journeys of how we've overcome challenges to living an empowered life from within. I'm your host, Jennifer Pilates. Welcome to another episode of Empowered Within. Hi there, and welcome to the show. I am so excited to have Jennifer Elizabeth Moore with us today. Jennifer's mission and passion is to help empaths understand the impact of their sensitivity and to share information and tools to help them shift from psychic overwhelm to being a thriving light in this amazing world. Jennifer is the author of multi-award winning Amazon bestseller Empathic Mastery, founder of the Empathic Mastery Academy, and host of the Empathic Mastery Podcast. Jennifer is a master trainer for EFT International and has been a mentor and healer for other highly sensitive empathic women for over three decades.
1: Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Oh, Jennifer, thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm it's so, so excited. It sure has been a journey for us to get here too, you know? It really has for us to get here.
0: The first time yeah. we were going to do the podcast, there were huge tornado warnings where I am and no. I felt so terrible that we had to postpone the show. And so this is a long time coming. So I'm so excited to talk everything Empath Sensitivities and all the good jazz. All the good stuff. All the yeah. good stuff. So let's talk about first, I always love to know, how did you determine, find out, experience that you were an empath?
1: So I was really lucky in that when I was, you know, so when I was in my, like I was 17, 18 years old and I was hanging out with some friends getting stoned and this kid looked at me and he said, you're an empath. I'm an empath. You're an empath. And I somehow just was like, you're right, I am. And this was back in, we're talking like the early 80s when nobody was even using that term. Because at that point in time, the only references to empath had been in science fiction And, you know, the very first reference to Empath came from a book, actually a novella, not even a book, but a short story that ended up in a magazine called New Worlds called the story was called The Empath by a Scottish author named J.T. McIntosh back in 1956. And then the next reference to Empath was in 1968 on Star Trek, the original, you know, the OG Star Trek, where it was this one episode called The Empath, where there was this character named Jem, which happens to be my initials, and uh, who was an empath who healed Kirk, McCoy and Spock. But then after that there was like no cultural references to being an empath. It wasn't a clinical term or anything. And so I just happened to be like kind of in the right place at the right time where this person whose name was Mace of all things, but where he just was like, you're an empath, I'm an empath. And I was like, you're right. Uh, You know, the just interestingly, because I've been really looking at origins of the word, you know, It really kind of broke into mainstream culture and more people started to become aware of it when Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation showed up and suddenly we had a character that was an empath who was, you know, and where people were starting to go, oh, that's what it means to be an empath. But I was really lucky because I kind of knew the term and realized that I fit into that I had many of the characteristics when I was like 17, 18 years old. And I've met so many people who do did who don't necessarily know that's what they are, who don't necessarily realize it, or who think that you know it's just part of science fiction. And where I'll start talking with them and I'm like, do you experience this and this? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, you might want to, you might be an empath here. <laughs> Which actually leads me to be, to actually just answering a question that I'm imagining you might ask, which is, what's the definition of empath? Because, I think that the word at this point in time has become so popular. One of the jokes is empath is the new black. It's like everybody calls himself an empath. Everybody defines it. But the thing is, it's not, there's no common definition for it necessarily. So, I mean, there's a sort of a cultural understanding of it, but there isn't necessarily like a, this is what an empath is. So for me, an empath is a, is a living being. It could be a cat, a dog, a horse. A human being, but it's a living being who is picking up the thoughts, feelings, energy, and sensations. From the world. Now, many empaths are going to be picking it up from the world around them, but some are picking it up from the world like much further away from them. Some people are picking it up from across the planet. Some people, you know, beings are picking it up from even within sort of the galactic system. And some people are picking it up from the past. Some people can be picking it up only from the present. Some people can also be picking things up or sensing things coming from the future. But what makes an empath different than just your average psychic or intuitive or medium is that where a psychic and intuitive and even a medium all have extrasensory perception that allows them to pick up paranormal information. And they know that they're picking up paranormal information. The thing is, there's an understanding of this is, you know, that's not mine. That's coming to me from some kind of outside source empaths process information as if it's their own. And so the challenge is that when an empath is picking up the energy, the thoughts, the feelings, the sensations from around them, they feel it as if it's their own. So for example, you know, a psychic could walk into a room where there had been a really big conflict or issue coming up. And the psychic would be like, wow, there is some really funky energy in here. There is like something really, wow, I sense a lot of anger in here. The empath would walk into the room and go, why do I feel so weird? Why do I feel so angry? And that's the challenge. And that's the thing, which is one of the reasons why I'm kind of on a mission to talk about this, because if you're picking up all the thoughts, feelings, energy, and sensations, and processing it as if it's your own, a lot of times you think that the problem is internal when really the problem Mm -hmm. is about what you're taking on from outside that you need to let go of. Right. Which is always such a challenge, right? It's such a
0: journey being an
1: empath. Yes. Mm -hmm. Such a journey being an empath journey. Yeah. I mean, I've heard so many empaths refer to it as, you know, talking about it as a curse Mm -hmm. because they can't turn it off. They don't know how to, you know, stop taking on all of the feels, and, you know, stop the world. I just want to get off.
0: No, I remember years ago when I would say, yeah, it's a blessing and a curse. And that has changed dramatically
1: into, oh, this is my superpower. Yes, exactly. This is like, you don't mess with me. No, But many of us go through that. You know, at first it's a curse, then it becomes a blessing and a curse, and then eventually it can become our superpower. But it's really learning how to navigate it is such an incredibly important part of this. It really
0: is. And okay, so I've got to ask this one question. You talk about how you pulled yourself out of the empathic whirlpool. Yes. What was that? Tell me about this. Are you ready to lose inches, increase strength, and tone your body from head to toe? Are you ready for a total body, mind, and spirit transformation? I am excited to announce that I am launching my exclusive eight-week Pilates return to life training program. This will give you an opportunity to have a total body, mind, and spirit transformation of health and wellness to a new lifestyle. Imagine in seven days you will feel a difference, in 14 days you will see a difference, and in eight weeks you will have your new Pilates So what do you say? Want to join me on the mat? Head over to jenniferpilates.com today. Space is limited. Use a special promo code EW and the word special, EW special, to receive $200 off while space is available. Head on over to jenniferpilates.com and I'll see you on the mat.
1: So my, you know, I would say the first like 25, even like 28, 30 years of my life were waking up every day feeling like out of control, out of sorts, not really knowing what was going to be happening, feeling like Amplified, feeling like extra blue, extra fearful, extra not usually extra angry, mostly extra terrified or extra sad. And just sort of this quality of like just feeling this sort of sense of like uneasiness, just constant uneasiness, constant state of just kind of being like just like hyper vigilant, like rabbit in the environment, kind Mm -hmm. of being like, what's going on? What's happening? Where is this? And it took a number of years for me to understand, you know, and I'll actually I'll say that even though I knew I was an empath at a very, very early age, like 17 years old, I knew I was an empath, I did not understand what it meant to be an empath. I didn't understand that being an empath was the reason why I was feeling so anxious, I was feeling so sad, I was feeling so depressed all the time. I didn't understand that that was why I would suddenly feel completely out of sorts for no reason. Like I knew that I was an empath, but I didn't understand that being an empath meant that I was constantly being pulled by all of the energy and all of the emotions and all of the stuff That was going on in the world around me. And it wasn't until I had this amazing therapist who I worked with for seven years, and she really helped me to grow up. Like she really helped me to become an adult. And one of the things that she kept on helping me to discover was when I would come to her in a state and I would be like all discombobulated and upset and distressed. What she would help me to realize was that probably about 9 times out of 10 it was after an encounter with a situation or a person who was going through something really rough and i had taken it on and when i started to understand how often my feelings were not just mine but were being amplified by other people's feelings and other and other circumstances I mean, that was just a complete game changer because sort of, you know, drowning in the emotional and empathic whirlpool meant that I just, I never knew what end was up. And I, and that meant like some days I could be like, okay, I'm just going to go to the grocery store. Other days it would, I don't even, I would be so spacey and out of it and disoriented, mm-hmm. like even just driving Was difficult getting on the subway was difficult going to like doing things was difficult. And some of the ways that it manifested in terms of behavior was that I struggled with chronic time management issues and being chronically late for pretty much everything because I was always just trying to protect myself and avoid I I was I needed a lot more sleep than most people and so I was constantly oversleeping in the mornings and I also was self-soothing with mostly sugar, but using food as a way to try to self regulate, as well as actually for a period of time, cigarettes, even trying to self regulate with all of that. And so I was doing all kinds of things to try to protect myself from the energy of the world. Because I didn't understand that was what was going on for me. I hope that was a that was a juicy mm, enough answer. Absolutely.
0: To, yeah. And you led me into I do want to talk about, and I actually thought about this morning, and it wasn't something that I had on our little roadmap. I say I keep a roadmap uh-huh. around. Because yeah. I thought, oh that's right. She talked about that she was a sugar addict. I gotta ask her about this. Yeah. Because I'm curious. Because I, you know, I, we're all, I mean, empaths generally have a lot of empathic friends and it's interesting to see like what each person's vice is. Yes. Yes. And so I want to know about your journey with sugar and how you have overcome or where you're at now with sugar.
1: (laughs) I, so I am incredibly grateful to be able to say that sugar and I have a, You know, like we've got sort of a peaceful treaty between us at this point in time. And I am not in a love hate relationship with it anymore. You know, I come from a long line of high strung, highly sensitive people. I I call them world, you know, world class awfulizers. And so I grew up with a mother with a sugar addiction. And when I was a child, I had no idea what I was even looking at. But it wasn't until I came into my adult years and I realized that it's not normal to lock up candy, like that it's not normal to hide candy, that it's not normal to hoard candy. And I grew up with somebody who would hide candy, who would buy candy and then hide it from the rest of us, and who was very controlling about sugar and very controlling with it, which of course meant that because it was something that was like the forbidden fruit, of course, it was the thing that I loved. But also, I really do believe that there are some of us who just we respond to sugar more intensely than other people do. I mean, for me, when I was consuming processed sugar, I would go through I would be blissed out after having it for about an hour and a half. Unfortunately, after that, then what would happen was I would experience like the sugar blues, I would experience the crash, I would find myself just, you know, descending. And I really believe that is partially just due to the nature of the way sugar works and blood sugar. And, you know, I don't I have a body that is more sensitive to certain things, including insulin and processing sugar. And so I don't process. I don't burn sugar fast. So I would get, you know, so I would end up with like blood sugar just sort of like staying in my body. And I would just end up feeling really off. I would feel really strange. And the thing is, you know, you've got the hormonal aspects of like your body processing sugar and blood sugar, but then you've also got the sort of the biological sort of the flora and the fauna, but the flora that's in our gut, that's deeply impacted by sugar as well. Because when you're eating a lot of sugar and carbohydrates, you're feeding the bad bugs in your gut and you end up with Gut dysbiosis. And so I was so, and the interesting thing, and I'm imagining you've had these conversations before about the brain, the gut brain Mm -hmm. link and connection. And so, you know, the problem for me was that sugar consumption was causing, was corrupting my gut. And because it was corrupting my gut, there is an as above so below connection where it was also deeply impacting my mental process, my thoughts, my feelings, all that was going on in my brain. And for me, sugar is something where it's one is too many and a thousand is gonna is never gonna be enough. Mm. And where there are some people who I sincerely believe who can. Live with moderation. Who really are like they can mo- they can just do something in moderation. For me, sugar is a substance that I just have to abstain from. That I you know processed sugar is something I have to abstain from. I will sometimes have a little bit of honey. I'll sometimes have a little bit of coconut nectar, maybe a little bit of maple syrup or something. But mostly, I'll use like stevia or monk fruit to sweeten things at this point because. My system is just so sensitive to sugar that it just throws me into a tizzy. And the problem for me, if I do consume sugar, is that it sets off a cascade of cravings that is just not worth it. Because then I'm just going to be like white knuckling my way through. Yeah, no, you're not going to eat that again. And so many years ago, the first time I discovered that sugar was a drug for some of us and that, you know, the only way to basically get over it is to stop consuming it was back in 1986. And then I, and I was abstinent from sugar for about nine years. And then I sort of slowly picked it back up. And it was interesting because it wasn't as bad. I didn't have as bad, the emotional dips because I wasn't consuming it in the same quantity that I was when I was younger, but it was causing inflammation. It was causing my body. My body just was not happy. And so I gave it up again in 2003. And so, oh my God, I've been, I've abstained from processed sugar for the last 20 years. God bless you. Yeah. You might be my hero. Yeah. Yeah. I And I will just say that there's a really big, in my personal opinion, there's a really big difference between abstaining from processed sugar and deprivation. And, you know, I never gave up until, ironically, I did not give up chocolate. I would eat very high quality, like dark chocolate stuff that's sweetened with all, you know, like natural sweeteners and things like that. And I'll be honest, like some sugars, some chocolates just had a super, super low quantity of like organic cane sugar in it. But ironically, I no longer consume very much chocolate at all because as I've gotten older, my sensitivity to caffeine has gone like through the roof. And so I can't tolerate chocolate because of the caffeine in it. So I can have a teeny tiny little bit of chocolate on very rare occasion. But I didn't, that was one thing. When I gave up sugar, I was like, you know, you're going to, you'll pry the chocolate out of my cold, dead hands. That was a separate thing. But, you know, giving up sugar, giving up sugar. Is has been for me a really it was a total game changer because it allowed me more ability. Like when I'm eating sugar, the all bets are off for emotional regulation, it's like all the emotional intensity just amplifies, and I'm just in this kind of like pendulum swinging up, down, sideways, whirlpool of crazy. But when I'm not eating sugar, it's like the moods just aren't amplified as much. It's almost like for me, sugar is an emotional and mental amplifier and a psychic distorter. Mm. And so it's like information comes in, but it's not accurate. It's like I see, and I see everything through a glass darkly.
0: And I've heard that from lots of people that if your diet is full of processed foods and junk food and this, that, and the other thing, like your intuitive abilities are not clear. Yeah. Not Not clear. Like it's, and I've tested it and it's true. It's just, it's not clear. But when, you know, and I'm, and I do definitely like an 80, 20, like I am not perfect. And you know, people know my vice is an Altoid. Like that is my calming grounding. Don't touch my Altoids like Mm -hmm. moment. Yeah. But you know, yeah. When you're a hot mess, like you, everything's off. And then imagine if, is off. if you're off, then everything is amplified. And that's just not the way you want to live. And for some people, it may not be sugar. It may be dairy. It um, may be dairy. It
1: may be gluten. It may be alcohol. It may be cigarettes. It may be binge watching Netflix mm-hmm. all the time. You know, It's like all of us, your mileage will vary. It, also, it can even be things like you know, the wiring in your house and the electro- oh. electromagnetic frequencies. Absolutely. I had a friend actually who was living in Florida about 10 years ago, moved into this apartment with really wonky wiring. She was experiencing. Physical pain constantly in her body and was like mentally just like she and I'd known her before she was living in the house. And then when she like lost it was like she just like she just unraveled mentally and physically because of the wiring in her apartment. And when she moved out of this like really wonky wiring place and moved into a more sort of grounded stable apartment or I think it was a bungalow. All of a sudden it was like the person like, like the normal person was back and the create, you know, just all of that intensity subsided. So, you know, that's the other thing it's like as highly sensitive. That's the thing about being an empath is that for most of us, not only are we, you know, if you're in a sort of energetic, psychic, intuitive, you know, having the extrasensory perception side of being an empath, not only that, but most of us are also highly sensitive to our environment is sensitive to chemicals. We're sensitive to fragrances. We're sensitive to food. We're sensitive to electromagnetic frequencies. We're sensitive to Wi-Fi. We're sensitive to solar flares. I have a client who, anytime there's a lot of solar activity, she's always leaving me a boxer or message going, why do I feel so weird? She's, oh, there's solar flares. And, you know, we, so, so yeah, it can be anything. Mm. anything. Oh, absolutely. And I'm
0: the yeah. solar flare girl. Like yeah. I <clears throat> and particularly when I lived in Arizona, I was so rooted into the earth. I knew well in advance of any earthquake activity, any of that. And now since I've been over here in Florida, it's I don't get that as much, but I get all sorts of other weird, not weird, but just interesting yeah. earthly things. But the, oh, the geostorms, oh, my, I immediately look like I'm probably seven months pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so I'll mm-hmm. know, and for me, it always happens two days prior
1: before mm. it actually
0: comes. So I'm always like calling yeah. all my friends like, "Hey, heads up. <laughs> I yeah. can't put my jeans on. There's a big geo storm coming." <laughs> And it's so when we talk about empaths and we and here we are making light of this and someone's
1: listening going, How are you guys making light of this? No, we've had our moments. We've had our moments. We've definitely had our moments. Well, and I mean, what is it? It's a sort of, you know, if you can't cry, if you can't, if you know, if if you can't laugh about it, you're gonna cry. You know, and I just think I don't know. If you've had your moments, we've earned the right to laugh about it. Absolutely, yes. 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 So
0: I want to talk about a few practices. Yeah. That maybe we can help empaths along their healing journey as far as clearing, releasing, protecting, because I know that's super huge in your book. But I also really want your take on the difference between protecting and releasing from a place of empowerment versus fear because in my early empathic years, it was so freaking fierce, right? Like yep. I had, I was covered in crystals and monitoring everything I could and everything freaked me out. And the more that I was
1: like that, the more shit came to me. <laughs> ding, ding, you get the prize. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, what's amazing is that I literally recorded, a I recorded a TikTok video yesterday about protection as an empath and about that sort of like talking about Do you protect from a place of, so here's the bottom line from my perspective, you know, I'm sure most of your audience is very familiar with the concepts of the law of attraction and that where we direct our attention is what we attract and what we manifest. If you focus on something, that's what amplifies. If you don't focus on something, it tends to just kind of fall off and sort of like by neglect. It just, you know, if you take a plant and you leave it in a corner and you don't water it at all, it's just going to die it's but what you water is going to grow. And so when it comes to protection, when we focus on the things we don't want, we're still focusing on the things we don't want. And so we're going to be constantly hyper-vigilantly looking for the things that we're afraid of and terrified of. And so, for example, you know, I was having a conversation with one of my amazing mentors, this woman, Joanna Hunter, who is this incredible spiritual teacher out of Scotland. And Joanna and I were having a conversation a while ago about just like people who really focus on like dark, you know, entities and, you know, the darkness and the, you know, like all of this. And it's, yeah, you focus on that's what you're going to attract that is what is going mm-hmm. to keep on amplifying so my sense of it is instead of focusing on what you don't want what we want to be focusing on is the qualities and the frequencies that we do want because when we are you know if from my perspective protection is a two-part deal it's an energetic thing that has to do with sort of creating the filters and the shields and sort of calibrating our energy system to attract the frequencies we desire, as opposed to trying to repel the frequencies we don't want. Because anytime we're trying to push something away or repel it, we're engaging with it. Mm-hmm. And protection is really, in many ways, is about Not engaging with the stuff, like really just being like, these are my boundaries. You know, no, you're not my circus. You're not my monkeys. I'm not doing this thing. And so, what we want to be focusing on is the frequencies of what we do desire, what we do want to call in. But then there's also the second part of protection, which is just the strategic side of it, which is all about making deliberate, conscious choices about how we live in the world and not putting ourselves in in difficult situations or in harm's way, having boundaries, saying no, I don't have the energy to come over to your house and take care of, you know, and listen to you whine about your ex-husband for three hours right now. I am, you know, at the end of a, the, a long week, I'm not going to go to the grocery store at 530 in the evening when everybody just got their paycheck and everybody's in the grocery store. You know, I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to ever again go to Universal Studios during spring break oh God. <laughs> when it is crowded as all get go. And, you you know, there's things I'm going to be mindful of in terms of my strategic boundaries and protection, because in order to really be, to be protected, um, we need to do it from a place of, I, I believe, like sovereignty, consciousness, deliberateness, and empowerment. And so a lot of it is, I think, ultimately comes down to, giving ourselves permission to say no, standing in that place of recognizing and recognizing what's ours, what's not ours, but also what, like, what really is our job and not taking on the jobs that are not because of the fear of, you know, hurting other people's feelings our people pleasing stuff coming out, all of the things that can come up for us are like, well, I can't possibly say no to that, because that might hurt that person's feelings. And instead, just really standing in that, su- in that strength of, I am not aligned with this. Not only does it not serve me to not do this, but also it does not serve the world for me to do something I'm not aligned with. Because then I'm actually taking up the space where something better could have filled it in. And somebody would have gotten more of what they needed than what I in my sort of resentful half-assed attempt could possibly give. And so for me, there's another part of it, which is, you know, as an empath, we're so often concerned about the care and the feeding and the way that the world is being nurtured and nourished and loved that we will sometimes be like, I'll throw myself under the bus, you know, for the, for these other people or for this other situation. But actually, whenever we do that, We are not helping because what we're doing is we're contributing less than energy to a situation that needs all hands on deck. And if we're really not into it, I don't care how much you try to call it in or fake it, you're not going to be as good at delivering what needs to be delivered and and offering the service that is needed than if you were actually in alignment with it.
0: No, I think that was great. And I love, you know, in the beginning you were talking about, and in my head, what you're speaking of is really common sense things. If you really don't like to be around people, universal is not your place for you. Now, you're not, now it could be a motive of both, yes, fearing, I don't want to be around all those people, but the reality is you don't like people that much. So you don't need to be there. So there's that essence of being able to remove the, I don't want to be around all those people. Well, the real you know you
1: just it's okay you don't it's just have I don't to. like this I don't like, like I, this yes I don't like to go to many concerts you know I mean it's like my husband and I are actually I actually was like I we're gonna go see Rob, Robert Plant and Alison Krauss this summer because I really want to see that but most of the time I'm yeah no not really that interested don't want to be around the crowds and it's not because I'm coming from a place of fear it's just that it's too overstimulating there's too many people it's just it's 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 not my idea of fun. And there's a big difference between this is just not there's a big difference between it's not for me and I'm scared of it. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there's this incredibly fine dance between, you know, like when are we avoiding life out of fear where we just need to feel the fear and do it anyway? And when is and when is it really like? Yeah, no, this is not aligned for me. Mm-hmm. This is not the right place. Like you were talking about, before we got on, you were talking about when you had that just sort of gut feeling about your mom and being in a location and where you're just kind of, like, and that's not fear. That's just that, yeah, no, not quite right. And I've had the experience. And since you read the book, you know, the story about I crashed my car. Because I did not listen to my gut instincts. And I overrode my instincts because a friend was relying on me to get her to the airport. And considering the circumstances, I actually think, like, I probably would have ended up doing it again anyway. Because she would have just been, like, absolutely left with, she would have been, like, left, like, she would have been left up the creek without a paddle. (laughs) Because it was like, I was taking her to the airport at six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. So I it wasn't like anybody else was going to be suddenly able to like rally if I just was like, I had a premonition, something really bad is going to happen at four o'clock in the morning, I can't come get you and drive you to the airport. I just did what I needed to do there. But I knew, like I had just had this awful feeling and i got her to the airport but on my way back when the sun was starting to come up and everything had a layer of water over the ice i just like sl- i hit black ice and skidded into a telephone pole and totaled a car and so you know that's the irony is sometimes even if you feel the fear and you get the hunch you still may choose to do something because it's like it's sort of it's about consequence it's about choice you know and that's a whole other thing that i really feel pretty strongly about is that just because, you know, I think we often confuse choice for consequence, that somehow I think many of us sort of think that like choice, it's if we have a choice, it means that there's a good choice and a bad choice. Sometimes it's like, there's a you could do this, or you could do this, both of them are going to have consequences Mm -hmm. of them are going to be like, neither of them are exactly what you want. But one of them is more what you want. And so sometimes I think that claiming our choice and just saying, you know, this isn't perfect for me, but I choose to do this. And like in that particular case, it wasn't perfect for me to get in a car at six o'clock in the morning and drive my friend to the airport and total my car. But the consequences would have been the loss of a friendship because I mean, I mean, we probably would have patched it up, but the consequences would have been that I would have left her like she probably would have not been able to get to the airport, airport, not being able to get on her flight. She probably would have lost money. There would have been mm-hmm. a, whole a whole bunch lot. of other things that happened. I totaled the car. I ended up getting another car. I was fine. You know, I was fine.
0: And yeah. sometimes it's just like you said, you. Sometimes things happen so that you can get the lesson and the blessing out of it, right? There was a lesson I didn't listen to myself. And the blessing is that I know next time, damn, my intuition is good.
1: And I got a new car. And you got a new car. I mean, as as well as I ended up, you know, it led me into doing healing work. It led me to seeing a chiropractor and getting and working on adjusting my back. And you know, when I was a child, I had a very slight curvature of, you know, you know, like a very mild curvature of my spine, and. Interestingly, I would not actually be surprised if all of the chiropractic and adjustments that I did when I was in my early 20s after a car accident, because I had a couple car accidents, like nobody, no chiropractor, no physical person has ever commented about my having a curvature or having any kind of like scoliosis as an adult. And so... I haven't, I'm actually just putting this together now, but I wouldn't even be surprised if because of the accident and all of the chiropractic adjustments that we actually kind of corrected my spine because never have, I has, I, after adolescence and after, after that experience, those experiences in my like early twenties and early to mid, you know, to early thirties when I was going through a series of car accidents and needing to get chiropractic, it was almost like the car accidents led me to the medicine I needed. I mean, I just recently got bitten by a tick again. And so I, and I, a friend mentioned a supplement called zeolites that I was aware of. And I'd been used, I've used in the past, but hadn't for many years. And I was like, Oh, I just got bitten by a tick. I just took some doxycycline. I think I'm going to take some zeolites. And so I started taking the zeolites. And within one day My brain, like the brain fog just went and I felt like a better person. If I hadn't been bitten by the tick, I wouldn't have realized that this supplement was something that my body really needed. So sometimes even the thing that seems like, oh, this is an awful thing, ultimately leads it, it holds a gift inside of its hands. That is exactly what we need. Absolutely. I always say that if you can take a moment and take a step
0: back, you can look at How is this happening for me? What am I learning? And what is my blessing here out of all of this? And it's just taking that moment. And it's not going to be in the middle of it. It might not be for a week, a month, a year later. And you'll be like, oh, that's why that happened. I get it now. Yeah, yeah. If there were three tips that you could give to our amazing, empathic, highly sensitive community today to employ To help navigate this amazing, I'm going to call it beautiful world that we're transitioning in right now, where we don't want to gaslight ourselves into unicorns, rainbows and lollipops. Thank you. But I also don't want to go down the rabbit hole of, oh my God, all my food is poisoned and what am I going to eat and I can't drink and I can't do the... How do we stay in that middle lane? because I know how this is, do we
1: stay in that middle lane? It's
0: very challenging for so
1: many of us right now. I agree. And you know, I really, I mean, this is one of the questions I've been asking my entire life is how do we maintain that spiritual connection without falling into, you know, rainbows and unicorns and spiritual bypassing? And on the other side, how do we honor the suffering and the misery that's happening on the planet? Without succumbing to it and getting sucked into the quagmire of pain. I really personally, I'm really aware of the fact that it's there's, you know, there's that, that the divine world that I really believe we are as a species ascending into something greater. And then there's the epidemic of fear that is underneath it. And so, First off, what I would say is, you know, there's the three, the five steps of empathic mastery, which is recognize, release, protect, connect, and act. Recognize starts with recognizing what we are and honoring what our limits are as well as our gifts are. And so, and also recognizing when we are feeling out of sorts. And so, for example, if we recognize, so just recognizing our emotions. And so, for example, if you notice that you're starting to get brought into the fear, if you're starting to sink down into it, first off, if you're at all like me, you got a mind that's really good at telling stories. And what I need to do is if I start going down the rabbit hole of fear, it's never about being in the moment. It's always about projecting into the future. It's always about what I am afraid will happen, not about what's going on. And so for me, when I can recognize that I am picking up on or feeling fear, what I will do is first off, I put my hands over my heart and I just breathe. And I bring myself back into the moment. I'm like, everything is okay right now. I've got a roof over my head right now. I've got clothing on my body right now. I have clean water to drink right now. I am connected to the earth right now. Right now, it's okay. And then I don't know what's... And then I might even tell myself, I have no idea what's going to happen in the future but right now I'm okay. So let's just breathe. And then what I will do is I will ask myself the question, is this mine? And most of the time, the answer is some of it is yours. Some of it is not yours, like a yes. And once I get that answer, I will then ask a second question, which is what's mine? What's not mine? And when I get that answer, I'll usually be like, oh, yeah, you're experiencing this fear because you just watched the news and it just, you know, reminded you of the time that like in the case of like where you experienced a hurricane, you watch the news about a weather event coming, it's going to activate some fear from the past. So when we recognize that you know this is my trigger and it's my job to dismantle the charge, it's whole, from the that is still being held from the past that is still impacting me now. That's my job, but the other stuff that's not my job, and so I live by the saying I've already said it already in this interview, but I live by the Polish proverb, not my circus, not my monkeys. And so I'll just remind myself, you know what, not my circus, not my monkeys. This is not my job. And then what I do is I breathe into my heart, hold my hands over my heart, I breathe into my heart. And as I exhale, I release my hands and I say, I send this back to where it belongs. Send this back to where it belongs. Mm -hmm. And then What I like to do if we're talking about, so first we recognize, then we release. And then what I like to do is I like to breathe in divine light. I call on my guides and angels. I call in the light of divine source. I breathe in love. Like I really focus into the heart and focus on that universal currency of or current of love that is everywhere on this planet, because as a species, we tend to focus on the dark story, we tend to focus on the negative, we tend to focus on the hard stuff. But there is so much joy, so much delight, so much pleasure, and so much love that is all over this planet too. We can tune into that instead. So I turn my frequency towards love, love, appreciation and gratitude and calling in that light, calling in that divine connection. And so then what I do is I breathe in that divine connection. I draw the energy of the earth up into my body, feel my connection to the earth, and draw the energy of the earth up, and draw the energy of that divine heavenly wisdom down, and just breathe into that light within my whole being. And then exhaling that around me into uh, just this, like, cocoon this ball of just pure love and pure light all around me and this is this you know recognize release and then protect and connect that's what it's all about for me so hopefully that was clear enough and it was understandable,
0: absolutely, yeah. It's beautiful,
1: absolutely awesome. beautiful, awesome. Jennifer. Thank you. You are oh so my welcome. Gosh.
0: Well, you and I, we talked pre, and I said, "Oh my gosh, I could talk to you. We could talk for we could hours, because talk we for hours. are New England, yeah. New Englanders. We are, exactly. um, we are both." I don't want to call us ex Massachusetts.
1: Yeah. But we're, we both come from Mass. So yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, no offense to anybody who's living in Mass. We could say we're recovering mass holes. We're but- recovering
0: mass holes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you just never know which one of us may be back there soon enough. Yeah. No, but I love- mean,
1: I feel pretty clear that this is, you know, Maine. I'm very grateful that Maine will have me and that, you know, Maine has sort of welcomed me in with open arms and embraced me. It's, it is a really wonderful place to be.
0: Oh, I cannot wait for us yes. to sit and have a little tea one yes. day. <laughs> Hopefully, soon. That will be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, Jennifer, we are at this time in the show where I ask this one question. Okay. What is one thing that maybe no one knows about Jennifer?
1: Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I, you know, I am such an open book. I'm not sure there's anything that no one knows. If I don't know it. Um, So I'll just tell you a weird thing because I'll tell you a weird thing because I really can't think of anything that fits into that category. Because honestly, I'm like, I am just not a secretive person. Like if I know it, somebody else is going to know it. But a weird thing is I am missing on my right hand. I don't really have a knuckle on my baby finger. (laughs) You don't? I don't. Where is it? I don't have a knuckle. And the first time I discovered it, I was doing a drawing of my hand. And I drew a picture of a woman with her hand in like this with three knuckles. And my art teacher looked at me and said, why does she only have three knuckles? And I said, because there are only three knuckles. And he said, no, there aren't. And he throws his hand out and shows me his four knuckles. And then I'm like, no, there aren't. Yes, there are. And I throw up my hand and he's like, oh, my God, you only have three knuckles. So... I have three knuckles on my right hand, which is just it's just a very bizarre little it's so you know, it's not a secret, but it is kind of a very bizarre little quirk about me. I love, Yeah,
0: I love yeah. that. You know, people always their minds go to very different places. And I love to see what they're going to bring out. And I think that's yeah. so cool that you just shared that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there'll be someone else out there in the world who also only has three knuckles who would love to write in and chat about
1: it. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. And I will also say that my guilty pleasure through the entire, like the height of the pandemic pre, you know, you know, like just like when it was just really crazy, my was, was watching the good witch. That was my guilty pleasure. I love to watch the good witch. So
0: gosh, I miss that show.
1: I do, too. I was really bummed when they st- when they decided to discontinue it. It was yeah. so sweet. The, the I've been watching Ghosts, the American version of Ghosts, which they, you know, lately with Rose MacGyver. And that's mm-hmm. very sweet. It's not the same, but it's got a similar mm-hmm. sweetness to a it. Similar
0: sweetness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's wonderful. Jennifer, will you
1: share with our community where they can best connect with you and perhaps continue the conversation? Absolutely. Okay. So if you would actually like to get, you know, get my ebook, it's like the empathic safety ebook and just finding calm in the eye of the storm. I always forget the exact title of it. Just jump on over to empathicsensitivity.com. And that's going to take you into my world. It will give you access to my free Facebook group and all kinds of other resources and things like that. And if you want to get a copy of the book, which right here, go to EmpathicMasteryBook.com. If you want to listen to the podcast, EmpathicMasteryShow.com. If you want to learn about doing work with me in a group, there's the EmpathicMasteryAcademy.com. And for all of it, just head on over to EmpathicMastery.com. And there is a section called Work With Me if you are interested in talking about going deeper in this work.
0: Thank you for that, Jennifer. And I Thank will say re- I have read the book not once, but twice and it is highlighted and there's little, you know, little rabbit ears on it. It really is an incredible book for anyone who is empathic. You are highly sensitive. It really is quite the Bible and you have incredible affirmations and meditations in there. So I really encourage everyone, if you're an empath or highly sensitive, it's really something that you want to have on your bookshelf for sure.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And I also have a kit. I have a gift in there that is called the Empathic Safety Kit which we have just rebuilt and set up on the on our learning platform. So it's spiffy now. It's really gorgeous. It's not just a landing page on a website. It's actually like a course where there are actual recordings of meditations, where there's tap-along videos, where there's just all kinds of additional support. So... I Um, love it. Great.
0: Well, everyone needs to head over there and know that all of Jennifer's information, her links, everything to get in touch with her will be over in the show notes on JenniferPilates.com. As we are closing out this most amazing show, Jennifer, what is one lasting piece of inspiration you'd like to leave with us today?
1: I want to quote, there's a St. Julian of Norwich said, had a set, you know, created a chant. All will be well. All will be well. All manner of things will be well. And I just really think that as empaths, we, get, we can get so caught up in the fear of the world that we forget the true nature of who we are. We are cells in the body of this earth, and we are sparks in the fire of the divine. And we are part of something. This human experience is 1%. This human experience is like little, you know, we are just like the little tiny. If we understood what we really were, we wouldn't be scared the way we are. We are scared because we are part, we believe in the illusion of this, that the earth plane is all there is. And this is just, this is like the beginning. It's the tiniest tip of the iceberg and all will be well, all will be well, all manner of things will be well
0: absolutely beautiful thank you for that jennifer that oh was beautiful. you're so well thank you for today for sharing your incredible beautiful light your authenticness just showing up with your heart and really truly stepping up for every empath around the world i thank mm. you for all of us thank you
1: oh jennifer thank you so so much for having me it has been such a pleasure
0: thank you well as we say until next time may you live an empowered life from within Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Empowered Within with Jennifer Pilates. Your feedback is important. It helps me to connect with you and gives me insight into who you are and what you're enjoying about the show. For today's show notes and discount codes from today's sponsors, head over to Jennifer Until next time, may you live an empowered life from within.